Morning, Luke 14. Things are going to be just a little different this morning. We are continuing our study here through the book of Luke, our verse-by-verse study. And last week we did a big chunk of chapter 14, almost all of it. But we really didn't say too much about the last couple verses. And the last couple verses are almost a study within themselves. This uh, study this morning almost feels like something we do on a Wednesday night, a little bit more like a Bible study, etc. But I think it's important to make sure we hit this. If you look here in Luke 14, it's all about salt. Verse 34, salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And let's do that. Let's pray real quick to have ears to hear. Uh, Heavenly Father, we pray that we would hear what you have to say. We pray that as always you would teach, we would listen, that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct and help us, Lord, in all ways to truly seek you in your name. Amen. Now, last week in our study through Luke 14, we talked about that phrase, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. But we never covered the salt part. What an interesting study, a study on salt. So when you go home or you go throughout the week and someone asks what you did on church on Sunday, you talked about salt. That's what the study is about. And not only just talked about salt, look at that first phrase in verse 34. Salt is good. Next time you go to your doctor, tell them, the Bible says salt is good. In fact, one of my favorite verses about salt in the Bible goes on that topic. You don't need to turn there, but just write this down. Job 6, verse 6. Does this not sound true? Can flavorless food be eaten without salt? Is there any taste in the white of an egg? That's Job 6.6. 6. Write those verses down, go to your doctor, share them with them, and see what happens. Salt is good. Salt is very good. We put salt on everything. We have salt and pepper sitting at the table. We like the idea of salt. You know, at home, we'll put salt on things, and the boys will say, can we have some of that? And we'll say, no. And they'll say, why? And we say, because it's not good. Then why are you eating it? And we say, be quiet. That's how it goes. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating in any way whatsoever. It wasn't that long ago one of the boys asked to put salt on their cereal. They just wanted to try some. Salt is good. Now, from a biblical perspective, what is God trying to say here? Salt is good. It is interesting that this word salt, in the New King James, there's 36 different verses the word salt is used in the Bible. Now, some of those are talking about the salt sea, but a lot of it's just talking about the use of salt. And you would think, Lord, what is the purpose of this idea? Why are you talking about salt? And in a little bit, we're going to read a verse that says, we're salt. What is God trying to say here? See, the point is in verse 34 that salt has this flavor, it's seasoned. But what happens in verse 35, the salt becomes unfit. And that's where the tie-in starts to come. Turn, if you will, with me to Matthew 5. Matthew 5. We're going to talk about us being salt. And we're going to build this up. We have three points this morning about this idea. And this is all about salt. Now, next week we'll get back into Luke 15. We'll get back to our longer studies on verses. But I just want to talk about these two verses this morning. Because when you really study out what salt is in the Bible, it's an amazing picture of so many different things. Matthew 5, verse 13. 
You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, a lot of times we just read verse 13 about we're the salt of the earth, but you have to get the full context of everything we're talking about. The context of verses 13 through 16 is this idea of being a witness. So in this concept here, how are we as salt trying to be a witness to a world that's dying? Now just think about this for a second. What does salt do? When you eat something that's very salty, it it creates what? Thirst. When you eat something that's salty, you want something to drink to go right along with it. See, there's a part of us as believers that we're supposed to be creating a thirst in others for Christ. As we go out there and live our life and be in the world, that the world sees us, They see our actions. They see how we are. They see that we're different. And that creates a thirst, hopefully, for Christ, where these people want to come to know Jesus like we know Jesus. And so being the salt of the earth in this context of verses 13 through 16, we're going out to be a light and a witness in all that we say and all that we do. So that's the first point. The next thing here, it says in verse 13, it talks about the flavor of salt, the seasoning of salt. We're supposed to be a flavor in this world. John 10.10 says this, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. That we're supposed to be a flavor to this world, hopefully a flavor of joy. This has been a rough week. If you look at everything going on that happened down in Texas, you look at everything that happened in Boston, you watch any part of the world, the world is just absolutely falling apart. And so much emphasis was placed on Texas and Boston that we didn't even pay attention to the earthquakes over in China and Iran, etc. This world is dying right in front of us. It needs flavor. It needs joy. And I think this is a responsibility as Christians that even as everything is falling apart, not even on a national level or a world level, but even locally at at work, at home, etc., that you are a beacon of joy in a tough time. And I don't mean this fake, false joy. I see Christians try to do this. How's it going? It's going great. Praise Jesus. Now, I'm talking about an honest, sincere, from the heart joy that is not fake, and you can tell it was real. That's salt. That's flavor. I had a friend years ago kind of coin this term, and it's always stuck with me. We had this guy that recently got saved, and there's no doubt about it. He was saved. He loved the Lord. But he's walking with the Lord in salvation, but his attitude never really changed. So we called him a disgruntled Christian. And you know what? I know a lot of disgruntled Christians. I firmly believe they love the Lord. I firmly believe they have a salvation experience with Jesus. But where is joy? Where's joy? There is no flavor. There's no seasoning. And they walk around in this defeatist mentality of how horrible their life is, how horrible the world is, how horrible everything is. And you're like, wow. Why would I want to become a Christian if I just get to carry around that same type of negative attitude? I'm not talking about some fake falseness, once again, but salt is a flavor that brings joy to people that are really looking for joy. They need something in their life that gets them through this difficult time. Because let's go to our third point. What else does salt do? Salt preserves. When you use it in the form of meat, it preserves meat. It keeps meat from rotting. This world is a dying, rotting world. Salt preserves it. As we, being the salt of the earth, we're getting into this dying, rotting world, and we're saying we have an answer to preserve this. We have an answer to save this. 
and that's found in Jesus Christ. Salt creates thirst. Our lives should be creating a thirst for Jesus and how we act. Salt brings flavor, a seasoning, as it says in verse 13. Our lives should be a joy that people see, and they say, we want something different. Salt is a preservative. This world is dying around us, and we're here to give the message of hope and peace in the gospel of Jesus Christ that preserves a dying world. Now, what happens if we don't do that? Well, let's keep reading here, verse 13. It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. If salt is not doing its purpose, well, maybe just use it as gravel. See, there's a lot of times I think as Christians, we have been touched by Christ, we've been touched by the Lord, but we don't see our primary purpose of drawing people towards Christ, and then we get to this point of we've lost our flavor, we've lost our seasoning, We've lost our purpose. Because our purpose is to see souls get saved. If, if you've got a bulletin with you, if you look on the front of your bulletin, it says at the bottom, our mission. And our mission is simple. It says to see people saved and go deeper in Jesus. The story behind this, and some of you may not know this, this was years ago. Um, there, was a, there was a group of people out here, and they had a very good business mindset. And at that time, it was a really big thing in the business world. It's what is your mission statement? People need to know what your mission statement is as a business to be able to see the big picture. So they kept coming to us, and they said, what's the mission of the church? And so they said, you really need to stop and think and pray about this. And, you know, and we looked, and some of these churches had these beautiful, and I'm not putting them down, paragraph-long, flowing mission statements. And I thought, boy, that's just not us. And they said, you really need to have something. So I said, I think the only mission we have is to see people saved and go deeper in Jesus. That's all I can think of. If you're not saved, we want to see you saved. If you are saved, we want to see you go deeper in Jesus. So, kind of almost as this joke thing, we put this on the front of the bulletin. That's our mission statement. And I love the simplicity of it. If you're here today and you're not saved, I hope you walk away knowing who Christ is and He died for you. If today you came here today and you're saved, I hope you walk away going deeper in your walking relationship with Christ. That's our mission. That's our purpose. As salt of the earth, that is my primary purpose. Every person I run into, I either want to encourage you to come to know Christ, or if you know Christ, I want to encourage you to be a better husband, better father, better worker, friend, son, daughter, whatever it is. I want you to go deeper in your walking relationship with Christ. That is my purpose. When I do not fulfill that purpose, I've lost my flavor, the Bible says. Because I'm not doing it, what I'm supposed to be doing. So we're the salt of the earth. We are put here by God with a purpose to be flavor, to be joy, to create a thirst, to preserve a dying world and to point them towards Christ. That's what we're supposed to do. Now, to build on this, salt carries even a deeper picture than that. We're salt. Now, how did we become that salt? This is where it gets good. Jump, if you will, to Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 2. Anytime you can do a study, when you get into Leviticus, you know it's going to be fun. Leviticus chapter 2, please. Once again, this word salt is used so many times in the Bible. In my New King James, 36 different times in the Bible here. You see all these different verses. Now... A lot of times when we get to Leviticus, as you're going to Leviticus 2, we get to a book like Leviticus, we start reading a few verses, we get completely overwhelmed, we don't understand anything of it, and we just quit. Because it's got this, yes, it's written in English, but it seems like it's a different language type thing. Look at Leviticus 2, verse 11. 
Now no grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall burn no leaven nor any honey in any offering to the Lord made by fire. As for the offering of the first fruits, you shall go offer them to the Lord, but they shall not be burned on the altar for a sweet aroma. We read these verses and we say, okay, no leaven, no honey, don't put it on the altar. I mean, we just sit here and say, Lord, what's the point? And then you read a verse like verse 13, and by the time you get to it, your mind's already so distracted, saying, I don't even understand. You miss something. Look at verse 13. And every offering of your grain offering, you shall season with salt. You should not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Three times in one verse, God says you've got to have salt. And he pushes this. And to the fund of every grain offering in verse 14, you have to have salt. Salt. That's a pretty big deal. What you see salt as a picture of is you see a picture of grace. When you see salt, you see grace. Every offering, verse 13, has grace. There is a covenant of grace. And this is a picture that God develops in the Old Testament. Salt represents grace. So when it says that you are the salt of the world, you are grace. You are a picture of grace that God gave you. What's grace? God dying on the cross for our sins. God giving us salvation that we did not deserve. Very simply put, grace is God giving you something you don't deserve, salvation. Mercy is God not giving you something you do deserve, which is hell. So when you're given grace, I don't earn this. I haven't deserved, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve salvation. God says, I've given you salvation. I've given you grace, which is salt, so I'm a picture of grace. As I walk in this world, the salt of the earth, and I see this world dying, I'm a picture of what God can do. When I look in the Old Testament, Leviticus 2, I see salt with every offering. I see grace with every offering. I see a covenant of grace. What an interesting term, covenant of salt. And this is not just used in Leviticus. In Numbers it's used, in Second Chronicles it's used. God stresses this covenant of salt. Now, you've got to go back to the Old Testament for a little bit. The way they used to make covenants in the Old Testament was they would literally take animals, split them in half, and then the two parties would walk hand in hand through those animals to show a unity, to show a oneness, and also to show if we break this covenant, this is what happens to us. If you remember when God gave the covenant to Abraham, that's what they did. They cut these animals in half, and then God walked through so this covenant of salt is a promise from God. And every time the priest did an Old Testament offering and they added salt in it, it's a picture of grace where every sacrifice was a picture of God's grace of him dying for us. And so when we're salt of the earth, we are a walking picture of forgiveness and grace. It's important. What does grace do? Grace saves us. Grace heals us. Let's go to one more verse here in the Old Testament about salt. 2 Kings 2, please. 2 Kings 2. Second Kings 2. is a beautiful picture here of salt and what it does. This world we live in is a dying, rotting world that only can be saved through grace. We are a dying, rotting body that can only be saved through grace. We need that salt, that grace. 2 Kings 2, verse 19. says, The men of the city said to Elisha, Please notice the situation of the city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the ground barren. 
This water was so bad, supposedly, that it made people sick, and they said supposedly it even made women potentially miscarry. This water was so awful. I remember growing up, I had a friend that you'd go over to their house, and they had two faucets in the kitchen. One was water that was drinkable, and the other one was sulfur. And if you've ever been around sulfur water, if you can get past the smell to even drink it, how awful, just how awful it is. This water in verse 19, it's bad. It's awful. Verse 20, he said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the source of the water and cast in the salt there and said, thus says the Lord, I've healed this water from it. Excuse me, I've healed this water. From there shall be no more death or barrenness. So the water remains healed to this day, according to the word of Elisha, which he spoke. What healed the water? Salt. That water is a picture of us. Verse 19, bad and barren. I think good old King James says, not this idea of we're awful, we're bad, we're barren, we're fruitless. Now, think about it before you got saved. You probably at one time thought your life was very fruitful. You thought everything you were doing was fruitful, it was fun, it served a purpose, it was exciting. It's not until you start walking with Christ that you look back and you say, how completely empty was that? Romans 6, Paul writes about this, and he says, what fruit did you have in those things which you are now ashamed it's a shameful thing when you stop and you think, boy, that's what I used to do. That's how I used to speak. That's how I used to act. That's how I used to treat people. It was fruitless. It was barren. I was awful. I was sinful. I needed salt thrown into me. Salt is a picture of grace. We are this water, an awful, horrible tasting water that's disgusting, that causes harm. And then when the salt is thrown in, depending on your translations, the water is either healed or purified. Is that not a picture of what grace does? It heals us and purifies us from this awful sin that we have. According to Ezekiel, when a newborn baby was born, they used to cover the newborn baby in salt. What an interesting thing. That shows a picture once again that this child is born into sin. And it needs to be covered in grace from the beginning. I tell you, parents, if you've got little ones at home, cover your children in grace from day one. Just teach them about the grace of Jesus Christ. There is this idea of salt being grace through everything we do. So now let's bring this all together. Salt is good. Luke 14. So salt is good. We're the salt of the earth. Matthew 5, 13. We're supposed to create a thirst in others for Jesus through our walk, through our actions. We're supposed to bring flavor, joy to a dying world. We're supposed to be a preservative of teaching them about the Lord. Now, we can't bring joy on our own accord. Our joy comes from God and God alone, and that joy is then passed on. I can't bring salvation to somebody. That salvation is, is from Jesus, and I point people towards Christ. Leviticus then tells us that salt is grace. Every grain offering had salt in it, had grace in it. And there was this covenant of salt, this covenant of grace. Then we have in 2 Kings this barren, ugly, disgusting water that is made clean and pure by salt, by grace, which is a picture of us. So now that we've established this, what's the practical application of this? Go with me to Colossians 4, please. Colossians 4. Let's make the practical application of this and then we'll be done. Colossians 4. If I am a picture of grace, if I'm supposed to be a walking example of salvation to point people towards the Lord... If I see how salt is grace, then I need to be walking and speaking in grace that all insane do. Colossians 4, verse 6.
Now, most of the time we only quote verse 6. Let your speech always be grace seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. It was a good verse, a good standalone verse. But if you look at the full context of it, stay in Colossians 4 and just jump back a few verses. Jump back to verse 2. It says, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word to speak, the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains. That I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards those who are on the outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be seasoned with salt, with grace. Now, do you see the context now? Why does my speech always need to be grace seasoned with salt? Number one, because according to verse 3, I want to be a light and a witness. I want to open a door of salvation to people. So I need to make sure my words are words of grace seasoned with salt. Problem is, I see too many Christians that don't do that. I see too many Christians that are the forceful, shove the gospel down your throat Christians. Why? Because they need to know the truth, and it worked one time. Well, it worked one time with that person. Doesn't mean it's going to work every time with every person. I've also seen people that go the other way. They're so afraid of offending somebody, their gospel message is just so watered down, there's no longer a gospel message. It's just God loves you, which is true. But we have to deal with this concept of sin that has to be taken care of through Christ. So that's why in verse 3, we're praying for an open door, and then we're also praying, verse 6, that my words would be grace seasoned with salt that I know how to answer. Because I tell you, sometimes you need to be forceful, and sometimes you need to hold back a little bit and be more grace. Each situation is unique. And since each situation is unique, as you seek the Lord in grace, you say, Lord, how do I respond? It's not uncommon at all for me to have to address a couple issues in the same week. And one person, you go in walking in love and soft words and grace because that's how they respond. The other person, you kick the door down. You say, God loves you and I love you, but you're screwing up. Each situation is unique. Problem is, as Christians, we become a one-hit wonder. We do the one thing the same time every time. Each situation is unique. Which goes to also then, verse 5, walk in wisdom towards those who are on the outside, redeeming the time. i got to be honest with you. I sometimes see how Christians speak to the unbelieving world and even to other believers, and their words are not grace seasoned with salt. And it embarrasses me sometimes to see Christians arguing. And I think this is what the unbelieving world sees. This is how it comes across. And you know, as we've said out here many times, the unbelieving world knows exactly what we stand against. Atheists know what we stand against. But how many of them know what we stand for? Grace, mercy, love. Why? Because every time we present ourselves, we present ourselves in anger. We present ourselves in frustration. We present ourselves in this horrible, stupid world on I don't care anymore. And Jesus just needs to return and judge everybody. Well, that makes me want to be a Christian, you know. Grace, seasoned with salt. I see two believers going at it and arguing. And I'm thinking, that third-party non-believer that sees this says, yep, that's, that's the type of person I want to be. We're Christians. We're different. Our words are different. The way we handle situations are different. We are seasoned with grace and salt. Now, what happens if the person you're talking to is wrong? Then they're wrong. It doesn't give us a right to take away the salt and the grace out of our words. We've got to be careful in how we do things. Look at verse 6 one more time. Let your speech always be with grace. Always. 
Too often I see Christians say, well, reach is a point where I can take grace out of the equation. I don't see that. Seasoned with salt. What is your purpose as you're having these debates and arguments, either with other Christians or non-believers? Is your purpose to win the argument so you can walk away from that saying, I won? Or is your purpose to be salt? Did I create a thirst for them to know Jesus? Did I create a preserving of a rotten world? Did I give joy and flavor to a joyless situation? Or did I just put another notch on it and I won the argument? No. Verse 6, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Just be honest with yourself. Do your words get yourself in trouble? Do you have a tendency to sometimes let emotion get the best of you? And instead of watching your words be graceful, they're not. See, God says that you know how you ought to answer each one. And sometimes you don't even answer it at all. And that's really hard for some of you. I know it is. It's really hard to sometimes let things go. And I've heard people tell me this before. If I let it go, they're going to think they're right. Oh, come on. The truth wins out. I'm not worrying about being right because I already know I'm right. I don't mean that cocky or anything like that. I know I'm right. I know I have truth. I know the truth wins out. I know that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father. I know the Holy Spirit is truth. I know God's Word is truth. So since I know it's truth, I present it. And as I present it, I hope they accept it. If they choose not to accept it, I can't let it affect me. Because as a believer, my speech needs to be grace, seasoned, and salt. Because I am a walking picture of Jesus. And all that I say and all that I do. That's a tough thing to do. That's a really tough thing to do. Last thing we're going to say about this. Turn if you will to Mark 9 and we're done. Mark 9, please. This idea of salt just keeps coming around again and again and again. Mark 9. Mark 9 talks about salt and talks about us. It says in Mark 9 here, we're going to be in verse uh, 49. It says, For everyone will be seasoned with fire and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Verse 50, we've already covered this, salt is good. But if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? We've covered that. Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. Now, interesting phrase. Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. So if we say that salt is a picture of grace, we're saying have grace in yourself. You have to stop and say, am I overrun with grace? I mean, have I first off tasted grace of salvation? That, that's point number one. Number two, am I now a walking picture of grace? Now, i, I got to be honest with you. I think this is where a lot of us as Christians stumble and fall. We don't have salt in ourselves. And, and I see it, I see it in my life, where, you know, you've been saved for a while. And when you first get saved, you're just absolutely amazed and mesmerized by what God did. That He loved me. I remember one time doing a Bible study with, with a couple that had just gotten saved. They were walking with the Lord for less than a year. And I remember doing this Bible study with them, and the girl just started crying, saying, He chose me. She couldn't get past that. Jesus chose to die for me. Now, I'd been saved for a few years, and I remember saying, yep, he chose you. Let's move on. Okay? I mean, we've established this. She couldn't get past. He chose me. 
See, what happened was, is I started losing salt in myself. Because, okay, yeah, I'm saved. Yeah, I get the whole grace thing. Trust me, I teach about grace all the time. Grace. Have salt in yourselves. And what happens is these people have been saved for a while. Then all of a sudden they forget what they came out of. And now they've been walking with the Lord for a while. So they look back and they see the world. And they say, look at them. Look at them. Look at their marriage and what they have allowed to happen. Well, look at your marriage 15 years ago. Well, look at their kids. If those kids knew Jesus, they wouldn't be acting that way. Aren't you thankful your kids know Jesus? We get this judgmental attitude towards the world. Why? Because verse 50, we no longer have salt in ourselves. Because instead of walking in salt and grace, we just become very judgmental and picky. I say this all the time, and you've heard me say it. If you come into my office and you start talking about a coworker, a family member, a friend, someone you go to school with, and you talk about how awful they are, I usually stop you and say, are they saved? Are they a Christian? You usually say no. And then I usually say, you can't expect Christian behavior from a non-Christian person. When I flip the news on, I don't see grace. I see a world. When, when I get online and I read what people think, I don't see grace. I see a world that needs grace. We got to be careful as believers that we have salt in ourselves and not allow a fallen, corrupt world to bring us down. Our job is to be a picture of grace to that fallen, corrupt world. And look what happens. If you have sought yourself, look at the last part of verse 15. Have peace with one another. See, here's the thing. I can't have peace with everybody because there's this whole Jesus thing that, that, that keeps us from having peace. I can't go up to somebody who doesn't believe in Christ and say, you know what? you got your own belief system, and if you choose to reject Jesus and go to hell, that's great. I can't. Now, I can have peace with them in the sense of not harboring anger towards them. This is another thing that I see what happens with Christians. When we run into unbelievers, instead of looking at them through the eyes of Jesus, of grace and sympathy for them not knowing the Lord, we just get mad at them. And we walk in this anger towards a non-believing world. I, I, can, I can hate the choices they make. I can dislike the situations they put themselves into. But for me to lose the eyes of grace towards them, then I'm losing what Jesus did. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And what happens is I don't have peace then with myself because I'm so full of anger towards non-believers and their choices they're making and the way they're living and the way they're acting. God says, no, peace, salt, grace. I'm the salt of the world. Let's just finish this up. Salt is good. Grace is good. I'm the salt of the world. I am called to create thirst for Jesus and others by my actions and how I live through the Holy Spirit. I'm called to be a preservative to a fallen, dying world because I have the answer in grace. I'm called to add flavor, seasoning, joy to a joyless world because I'm different. Because I have joy in the Lord. Then I see salt as a picture of grace. And it's a covenant. It's a promise of grace that God has given us. Aren't you thankful that you're not going to wake up tomorrow? And God says, you know that grace thing? I took it off the table. Now it's works. Now it's a covenant. It's a promise. And then I am that pitcher of water. It's awful. It's barren. It's bad. But you throw a little salt in it, and it becomes healed. I'm an awful, barren, bad person. But when God throws salt in it, I become healed. And lastly, my words are supposed to be seasoned with salt, with grace. 
the way I conduct myself to the non-believing world and to other believers. I need to wash what I say, how I say, and make sure I'm always presenting grace, not anger, not frustration, not ignorance. And then I have peace. I have peace because I have salt within myself, and it's a grace. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of grace. So I know this is a little bit normal, different study than what we do because we usually do a lot more verses, but I thought it was important to stop and say, Lord, what is you're trying to say here with this picture of salt? And remember what it says too, and we're back to our Luke now, where it says, If the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? If it's neither fit for land or dunghill, but men throw it out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Just ask yourself as we finish this up, have you lost your flavor? I mean, if, if I just looked at your life, would I see your words being words of grace? Would I see your life being a picture of joy in a joyless world? Would I see you creating a thirst for others to come know Christ? Would I see you making attempts to make an eternal difference spiritually in other people's life to preserve like salt preserves? See, let's have ears to hear what the Lord is trying to say. Because I don't want to lose the flavor. I don't want to be cast out and God says, I can't use James anymore. I want to be used by him. And I want to be salt in all that I do and all that I say. Marv, you come forward here for the final song. As Marv's getting ready...